The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Terratech with Jim Lane. Terratech is all about the products and companies that are using substantial materials that are changing the way we dress, eat, drink, shop, and live. We are becoming a more bioeconomic society and are more aware of the products in our lives. Now, here's your host, Jim Lane. Welcome to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane, for the next 60 minutes as we look at how technology is changing everyday products all around you. Today, we're taking a deep dive into the fascinating world of ethanol as we seek to clean our air. And then we get on to the fast-growing world of engineering, engineered and engineering carbon to improve our soils. It's sky to soil on Terratech today. We're taking your questions throughout the program on technology trends. You can submit those via email at jlane at biofuelsdigest.com or call in live. That's 866-472-5788. We'll look forward to your calls later in the segment and in the show. Joining me on this opening segment this morning as we explore the growth of ethanol, not only as a domestic U.S. industry, but as a stellar performer in generating U.S. exports and addressing the balance of carbon in the sky and balance of trade around the world. Joining us is Emily Score. She's the new CEO at Growth Energy, a leading renewable fuels trade group. Emily, thanks for joining us on TerraTech this morning. Thanks, Jim. It's my pleasure to be with you. So you came to ethanol primarily from a background in the health industry, I believe. Was uh, ethanol's role in reducing emissions a big factor in making the jump over to Growth Energy, or were there other things on your mind? Well, you know, it, in fact, it is the ethanol story is one really what motivated to me me to come join this industry. My background is in communications and public affairs, and I love telling a good story. And when I learned more about ethanol, to me, it's just apparent this is an American success story, and I want to play a role in telling it um, so that every single American understands not only what it does for the country, but what, what it does for them, for their family, for their pocketbook, and for the environment around them. Now, if you go to a small town in Iowa or Illinois, it's probably pretty easy because you see you see the effects of, of an industry like ethanol and corn production all around you. It's it's in the fields, and and you see the impact right around you. When you out go out to the coasts, the East Coast, the West Coast, where they're going to be experiencing it mostly as a consumer. How do you begin to tell that story? Well, what I do is we need to start a conversation. Um, and a lot of what we've been, what the conversations I've been having within the industry since I joined is when you talk to consumers and you want to have a conversation and a dialogue with them, you have to talk to them in language and in terms that they understand and that they care about. You want to connect to their values, to their aspirations, to the things that are important to them. And so if I'm talking to a millennial in San Francisco about why they should be filling up with a higher blend of biofuel, I'm going to talk about the way ethanol reduces greenhouse gas emissions by 43%. If I'm talking to a soccer mom in Atlanta who's charting her kids all around town, I'm going to talk to her about how ethanol uses fewer toxic additives than regular gasoline. And if I'm talking to a cab driver in New York City, I'm just going to focus on how ethanol 
ethanol, higher blends of ethanol like E15, help save five to 10 cents per gallon. And so it's really finding what motivates individuals and connecting based on those terms. Do you ever find that issues like consumer access, freedom of choice, does that resonate with people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those are, those are such American principles. We as a country, we are all about access and choice in, in anything. My previous um, life, I worked in consumer health care. And so my focus there was choice and access to affordable health care. So you can go to the drugstore and you can find that pain reliever that you need to get rid of your headache. Well, consumers should be demanding choice and access at the pump. You should be able to pull into the gas station and put the fuel that you want that's right for your car, that's right for your pocketbook, um, and supports your values and your principles as an individual and a member of, of your community. Now, there's a, there's a perception out there that, that people that are interested in what goes into their vehicle, like fuels or, I don't know, young male gearheads. But you're talking about reaching out to women, about to millennials. I say that as a, as a, as a, a longstanding guy who worked in the car, the car publishing industry. Uh, so I say that, uh, you know, affectionately. Um, but, but you're talking about, you know, maybe women, about millennials. These are not terms that we usually hear about when we, you know, go on to, I don't know, uh, programs where we're uh, talking about reaching out to people who are, you know, into their vehicles what um why 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 is that a conversation that you think is is uh, important to have well we've been doing some research um lately into you know who would be motivated to buy gasoline with a higher blend of biofuels and we know that millennials and women and environmentalists and other fast-growing groups are far more likely to purchase and support ethanol when they've been given an opportunity to learn about the benefits. And so there are people who are going to be focused entirely on high octane because they want the power and the horsepower for their car. So that might be kind of a, a typical auto enthusiast or a gearhead. But you know what? Women buy as much gasoline as men do. And so if moms are motivated by making sure their kids have an opportunity to breathe cleaner air, then let's talk to the moms about how the decisions that they make at the pump really can make a difference for their family. Now, we've just had this election cycle, and I guess the, the outcome that we were all supposed to ha- uh, expect was that uh, we've all decided to not care about emissions. Yet, when you're talking about reaching out to millennials, you're putting emissions out front. Is that, is that still as, as vital and important an issue? Is it growing in importance despite the election result we saw in November? I think it's still important. I think it, it, all, you know, all of these values can work together. I mean, I, and if you look at the election results, that was about making sure that we do things as a country and America first, and America first energy policy, focusing on American jobs and American um, agriculture. My goodness, talk, talk about the ethanol story. We are great for rural America. We're great for um, generating homegrown renewable energy. And so the value of ethanol certainly speaks to those things that, that motivated a certain part of the population to vote America first. And yet there's also a, a big part of the country that wants to continue to be eco-friendly and find ways to, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so the beauty of ethanol is that we really speak to everyone. We just have to make sure that we focus on what's most important to the audience that we're talking to. Now, even amongst the very largest members that you might have at Growth Energy, they're vastly smaller than, let's say, the petroleum incumbents. And you're sort of the ragtag band of, uh, you know, of, of um, uh, do, people doing good. Um, but how do you take control of a story when the incumbents are trying to take control of the story, perhaps, and, and paint you in a negative light? How do you 
how do you work through that? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. What what, what I want to do and what we're doing at Growth Energy is taking back control of our own narrative. And so, what we need to do is find those opportunities to talk proactively and on offense. You know what a really good example is? Last October, um, many retailers in parts of the country where you can buy higher blends of ethanol, they changed the nozzle at the gas pump to pink in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And they did some local media and it was a wonderful opportunity to remind people that what you put into your car really does make a difference. And that's us taking control of when we want to talk about ethanol and how we want to talk about it. It's a homegrown biofuel and so we've got to find the audiences that we know will be receptive to our messages and communicate with them in the forums that make the most sense. And so let's be more creative in digital media and social media so we have a conversation. We aren't just, you know, forcing information at them. And so it's, it's really know who's the audience that you want to talk to and we're learning that it's really we've got to do a better job of engaging millennials and women um, and know the right places to engage them. And if, if those audiences aren't reading car magazines, then what are they reading and how can I get my messages in front of them? Now in the industry, um, as, we, as we've heard from, from uh, your colleagues in the industry before, it's mostly been about trying to get people to wear the green ribbon. Uh, put the green ribbon on, show that you're green. But you're talking about maybe reaching out to people who are already wearing a pink ribbon and saying, hey, here's a, well, well, they might be. And here is, here's a gesture that you can make. Here's a, a positive action that you can make that's pretty easy for you to do. And it fits already in a set of beliefs that you've already been convinced about. Is that, is that a, uh, what's well, a different way? Is that a, you think that's going to be a better way uh, to, to move forward and get that conversation expanded beyond the, uh, uh, the aforementioned small town in, in, uh, in Iowa? Well, what I think, I don't know that it's a better way. What I am thinking of is how do we broaden the base of support? And so we, we know what motivates somebody who lives in a rural community because they have, you know, the, the role that biofuels plays in terms of um, being good for the local economy. That's something that someone in, in, a, in a small town may already experience, so they may be familiar with that. But somebody who isn't familiar with ethanol, who didn't grow up on a farm, who doesn't uh, wake up and, and think about what can I do for my fellow Americans in rural America, I've got to find a different way to motivate them. So it's expanding the conversation, broadening the base of support, because truly every, every driving citizen um, should be wanting to put more biofuels in the car. It's a win-win situation. And so we just want to broaden the conversation to include more people. Now, when we've looked at, at the, the sort of sweet spot of ethanol, right now the blending discussion tends to be around 10%, around 15%. Those tend to be limitations imposed by a generation of of really vehicle infrastructure, not so much, you know, what the optimal percentage. When when we look at the optimal percentage, we hear figures like 25%, 30%. How are you going to, you know, help, how are you going to work with manufacturers to get uh, that sweet spot to be a new normal, uh, especially as we're looking at, you know, that high octane might help us to get, you know, far better uh, vehicle uh, fuel efficiency and uh, help us reach these ambitious cafe standards that have been uh, uh, suggested out there? Well, you're right. Um, we are working with automakers to understand how ethanol, which is a very clean octane, 
can be a solution as they need to build the engines for the future. And if you look at CAFE, fuel, CAFE standards, fuel efficiency standards, fuel economy standards, automakers have to build engines that are lighter, that are higher compression. And in order to do that, they need gas that's going to have higher octane. Ethanol is the way to provide that octane. And so we are part of a broad working group um, that has regular conversations and a regular scope of work with many automakers. And we're looking at the technical levels. You know, how do you optimize the engine? We're looking kind of in the, in the policy realm as to how do you make sure that the regulatory pathways are there so that the engine can be delivered and then the fuel can be in, in, in the fuel supply and, and consumers can access it as well. So that's a big part of what we're focusing on um, because we all need, um, because that's what we need at the end of the day for the, for the car and the engine of the future. There have been some pretty ambitious cuts in the EPA's budget uh, proposed by the president in his uh, initial 2018 uh, budget request to Congress. Long ways from turning that into legislation, long ways from from that uh, taking effect uh, no earlier than October anyway. But uh, potential for you know a lot fewer people at EPA to do that kind of uh, regulatory uh, certification and assistance. Would that be, is that problematic in terms of um, uh, advancing uh, along some of the lines that you've mentioned? Well, we're going to have to see. I mean, everyone is watching that. Yes, we've seen that the president has proposed budget cuts. And so we would hope that there would be minimal impact on the departments um, that oversee the fuel supply. And I think at this point, it's really too early to tell. I mean, what we do know is that this is a president who has, throughout his campaign uh, and, and as president as well, has been very supportive of the role that biofuels play in this country. And so we need to be, you know, continue to be confident that he and his administration will understand that's got to be a priority as they move forward with any type of, of budget cuts. You know, when you look at what's on the books now for uh, combating climate change or, you know, uh, making a step forward for renewable uh, energy security, there's not much left. Uh, the president has uh, uh, issued a, a sweeping set of uh, rollbacks, but he didn't touch renewable fuels. Uh, do you think that that was uh, uh, do you think part of that was because of the uh, the big uh, the big shout that uh, uh, pro uh, pro renewable fuel shout that we've heard over the last uh, 60 days that came up uh, part uh, part because uh, Carl Icahn was running around talking about changing the renewable fuel standard. Uh, there was a big upswelling of, of support for RFS. Did that, do you think that, that played a role in, in, in why you know, a lot of things went away, but the RFS uh, was untouched? Well, I mean, we, there, there was a lot of activity and a lot of media coverage. What we have learned from that is actually that the White House wasn't looking to make any immediate change with respect to the renewable fuel standard. And so knowing that fact to be true, that's reassuring. In the conversations that we've had and all of the interactions, what we've seen is that um, the policymakers understand uh, what, what the voters want in terms of a strong renewable fuel standard. They understand that's where the president is. He wants to make sure that we keep um, to, to can need to continue to support biofuels, um, and so we'll, you know we'll just have to see in, in the months and years ahead. But but right now, I think this administration understands the importance of maintaining a strong renewable fuel standard. I really do. Now, if you had one one, if you could make one wish, would it be to protect the RFS and not make a change? Would it be something like um, uh, building a, a more of a market for E15? There's a there's a lot of a lot of states have come aboard. A lot of stations uh, have come aboard. But there's uh, what a hundred thousand fuel 
fuel outlets in the United States. So it's uh, uh, it's a long march to go from you know zero to a hundred thousand. So uh, what, what would be what, what would be on your wish list for twenty for for a great twenty seventeen for renewable fuels? Oh, what's on my wish list? Well, I tell you what, we'll ex- we'll take it as a given that the renewable fuel standard will remain strong. And so on my wish list is is continued expansion of the marketplace for higher blends like E15. As, as you mentioned, right now, 29 states offer higher blends. And so we're growing, but it's incremental growth. And at the end of the day, we need consumers to be able to pull up to a gas station and buy the fuel of their choice. That would be my hope for 2017 and beyond. I've been getting some email about this Prime the Pump initiative. What Can you tell us what that's all about and, and uh, what progress has been made there? Well, it's tremendous progress. It's actually very good. You've got it's a, There's a public-private partnership. And so um, the USDA um, in the previous administration gave out $100 million in grants to retailers to help them offset the cost of building the, putting the infrastructure they need to offer higher blends of biofuels like ethanol. The private sector, our industry, the ethanol industry, through what we call the Prime to Pump Initiative, we matched that grant and we raised private funds to also give grants to gas stations so that they can offset the costs. And as a result of these two efforts, that is what has given us 29 states, nearly 700 gas stations selling higher blends like E15, which is gas with 15% ethanol. What a wonderful example of um, public and, and private working together. And what we're seeing is the great news, when consumers are given access to those higher blends, they come back for more. And you're seeing that these retailers are selling more ethanol than they ever have before because they're finally giving consumers that choice at the pump. Well, Emily, you've uh, you've proven to be not only a, a fresh, well, ethanol is a fresh breath of air, but uh, you're a fresh breath of air uh, as the new CEO of Growth Energy. Really appreciate you coming uh, uh, coming on to Terratech and, and telling us about the latest. Uh, thanks for uh, uh, for joining us this morning. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue our look today at uh, uh, Sky to Soil, and we're going to be looking at engineered carbon. We have Wes Bolson from Coal Planet talking about biochar. We'll be taking your questions about technology trends. Stay with us. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Terratech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is make America great again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing oil new- prices, yes. The story on um, everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know, other technologies work like DME and, and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ABLC. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring soil to sky this morning. And in this segment, we're turning to the world of engineered carbon. We have Wes Bolson from Cool Planet talking about the amazing properties and progress of everything from the world of biochar, but it's gone a lot further than just the old, your dad's biochar. Wes, thanks for joining us on TerraTech this morning. You're welcome, Jim. It's uh, good to be here this morning. So most people might have heard of something called Terra Preta as a material that was used in ancient times to improve uh, soil carbon. They might have heard of biochar. They may not have heard of engineered carbon. Take us through and tell us what it is and what it does. Sure, just going through the history. I mean, the Amazonians had pretty poor soil um, down in South America and, and a clay-type soil. And terra preta is black earth. I mean, it literally was how they were cooking ag residues as they were making clay pots, as they were doing other things and putting it back into the earth. And the earth turned black from the clay, kind of red clay. And it was so productive. And it actually helped sustain a civilization. So people have known about biochar cooking, charring, you know, kind of a char-like material, cooking ag residues, but it's never taken off. It's never been part of a broad ag or, you know, broad kind of use across. And it was the reason that no one had really understood the properties, brought the science and brought the, the data behind. How do you upgrade? How do you take a raw biochar material and engineer that into what we call engineered biocarbon? And it's just like uh, carbon fibers, carbon nanocarbon. The carbon aspect of things is, is really important uh, in the sense of engineering it for a purpose and Cool Planet's purpose with our Cool Terra product. It's for, for agriculture, Jim. Now, there's been a, a wave perhaps over 30 or 40 years. You read the back of magazines and it says, you know, make biochar in your bathtub or make biochar in your barbecue. <laughs> and some, some of that material didn't quite work out. It, it's, it's a little bit more uh, technically complicated to make something that really does remediate soil and Im- improve soil characteristics. So take us through just a little bit of what, um, what your uh, very high-tech barbecue looks like. Sure. I mean, what you're doing, I mean, it's, the wonderful part is, you know, CO2 came out of the atmosphere and into that tree. You're using the tree for wonderful purposes. You've got forest residues. We'll stick with that for, for an example. When you cook that down in the absence of oxygen, called pyrolysis, for any of your technical listeners, pyrolysis is just, you know, heating in the absence of oxygen, and it comes out as a raw char material. 
But that material, as it went through that heating process, it may still have some things called polyaromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs. The pores may be plugged. It may be what's called hydrophobic, meaning it's not water-loving. And and something like that, the pH could be wrong. Um, The consistency in size. I mean, if you have everything from the size of charcoal briquettes to fine fairy dust powder coming out of a system, that's not a usable product in agriculture. So raw biochar is a wonderful starting material. But what you're going to do is you're going to run it through a proprietary process. We call it Demetra. And by the way, that is a name for the the goddess of uh, the harvest, the Greek goddess of the harvest, and we call it uh, Demetra. So we run it through that process, and it changes the pH. It gets it to a consistent size. It makes it hydrophilic, where it can hold on to water, nutrients, and make them plant available. So you're really transforming the material to be ag-ready for today's ag equipment to go back into the soil to be immediately productive, not have a product that sometimes, and by the way, sometimes biochar works great, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's not a product that can be broadly distributed. And I think that's the important thing about what Cool Planet's been doing, bringing the science, bringing the data, bringing the PhDs that it took. Uh, We have more material scientists, surface chemists, agronomists uh, on staff than than probably anyone else in the world working on on biocarbon. And it's because we we wanted to make this product broadly uh, commercially viable in turf nursery and ornamental uh, agriculture, water, and potentially someday even into animals. Now, the the product got a tremendous amount of uh, pub- a publicity kick, if you will, in the last three years, uh, a very debilitating uh, uh, drought in California that really hit some very high-end industries, strawberries, that kind of thing, where you know, you're talking about thousands of dollars per acre. And a lot of people ran to the store to try to find something that can help the soil hold the water and a little bit of a publicity lift for you during that period. So uh, good timing. What else can it do besides hold water? Yeah, and, and that's where you're looking at. If you think about uh, what our Cool Terra product is, it's almost like a coral reef uh, for, for fish. It's, it, you put this back in the ground, it's a stable form of carbon. And that's an important part of fixed carbon, uh, recalcitrant carbon, meaning the half-life on this product is roughly 400 years, Jim. And so when you put this back into the soil, what you're providing is a home, a home for microbes, a home for water and nutrients where the plant needs it at the root level. So it's, it's about um, making plant water and plant nutrients available. So you start having environmental uh, benefits like reducing fertilizer runoff because you're getting water and nutrients down into the soil in some rough clay soil. In a sandy soil, what you don't want is fertilizer leaching, just going on past the roots, because then it's not available to the plant. So what it does is it's almost like a wood chip sponge, Jim. You're able to provide plant water, plant nutrients where the plant needs it at the root level. You're then providing what we like to call a luxury condominium for for beneficial microbes. In a teaspoonful of healthy soil, there's about 7 billion microbes. That's you know, crazy to think about. What you want is a, our, our soil, and we talk about soil health, Cool Planet helping with our, our Cool Terra product to improve soil health. And, and what that means is a living organisms that are in the soil to help uh, the plants grow and, and to help get the water and nutrients that they need. 
serving as almost that reservoir for them uh, at the root level. Now, there's been a, a wave of technologies that have been coming, coming along for, you know, a thousand years, but especially in the last 20 years to have in what we call enhanced fertilizers. And on the human side, this wave of what we call uh, probiotics. But you're talking about something a little bit different. Over in the human health side, they're talking, starting to talk about prebiotics, which is to say, not just put new stuff on, into the soil, but take care of the, the uh, microbes that are already there. And, and as you say, build them a luxury condo and allow them to do the magic that they do. What do you see besides uh, survival? You, we've seen some photos of you know, really vigorous growth um, advantages. Is that is that one of the outcomes that you get? What other outcomes do you get besides uh, growth and, and drought tolerance? Yeah, so so in, in the sense of improving what you call the rhizosphere, improving the, the health around the roots of the plant, um, you know, you, you have the water and nutrients, you have the carbon sequestration, which some people care a lot about, is how can agriculture be at the forefront of carbon sequestration? You look at, you know, and this is all just for the plant side, what if, and the new hottest thing in, in ag technology has been microbials, microbiologicals, and, and, and all the new bugs, if you will, that go, they want to put back into the soil for health. What if, what if this luxury condominium could be a carrier, a wonderful home for these microbes to live and to thrive in the soil? So I think we're at the cutting edge of, of some of the ag tech, uh, biotech space, um, and Cool Planet really being almost a material science company. To, to be able to engineer the material for a specific purpose, potentially to deliver a microbe. Maybe it's even promoting, and it's promoting those, those living organisms. But if you think about it in, in potential future applications, you talked about probiotics, you talked about those kind of things, it's really about gut health in an animal and, and or our, our gut, as it might be. And, and what if, you know, you were able to, to help uh, promote promote the, the wonderful living microbes that, that make us or animals thrive and, and convert feed? Or what if you could remove toxins? What if it was a toxin binder and we could reduce antibiotics in animals? That would be a huge, huge benefit to the environment uh, while reducing methane. I mean, so you start looking at the possibilities, the potential for, for a product that is really looks like a wood chip sponge and it has a lot of pores, the porosity of it, it could remove toxins. It could promote microbial delivery. It could do water and nutritional. That's where we're at the cusp, Jim, of, of, of multiple different industries from um, agriculture to animals to water treatment um, and, and really looking at how this carbon material could be engineered uh, for multiple benefits. Now, I can see immediately in the world of uh, the home garden where money is no object, you want it to be beautiful, you want it to survive, you know, a no-brainer to use technologies like these. And also some uh, some uh, high-yield, uh, smaller markets, strawberries, et cetera. We've seen a lot of demand. What about production agriculture where you're talking about, you know, every dollar is really, really precious? Uh, can, it, can it work all the way across the agricultural spectrum or there are sp- uh, specific segments where um, this is more affordable and economically feasible? Yeah, we absolutely plan on this going across the broad agriculture, um, the commodity crops, corn, soybeans, cotton, and wheat, um, as, we're, as we're thinking about it. But what you do is you start with the high-value crops. You start with crops today, like strawberries down in Florida, or uh, potatoes, tomatoes, lettuce, alfalfa, things that are high-value. And you start with those, 
while we're working on how do we apply less? It's really about return on investment. If a grower, if a farmer is going to spend a dollar, what they would really like to see is $3 back. You, you need to work towards, you know, farm is under, farms are under more pressure than ever to, to increase uh, profitability uh, as it's been squeezed over the last few years. How do we bring something that improves soil health and increases profitability on the farm through increased uh, productivity, through reduced uh, input use potentially even, through, you know, being able to more efficiently utilize uh, your inputs. So really we have to deliver that return on investment. For something like strawberries or lettuce, you can apply more cool terra per acre. For something like corn and soybeans, you may put it just in row at time of planting around that seed. So you're not maybe transforming the entire acre of land when you're planting a corn seed. You're planting cool terra just in row with that uh, seed. And, and that's how we're seeing that return, and that's how we're seeing it you know, bring value both to uh, the strawberry grower and to the corn farmer. Well, the world is making a lot more people, but we're not making a lot more water. And I can see a lot of applications for this technology, especially in the developing world where population increase and food demand is going to be, uh, and everything else demand, you know, fiber, fuel, everything is is under uh, increasing demand and, and stress. What are the opportunities? Is it ever going to be affordable in a developing country, uh, this kind of technology? Is it really, you know, uh, put it down once and then, and then, or do you have to apply it every five or six years? Well, how does that work? And economically, yeah, does it work? Yeah, good question. And, and absolutely, you know, this going uh, at some point into uh, developing countries uh, and, and smallholder farms and so forth. In fact, it's interesting because the worse the land, the better the product works. If you have marginal lands, clay, sandy, uh, type type soils, this actually works better than if you have, quote, perfect soil already. There's no perfect soil, but if you have really good soil, you know, and the, and the interesting part is in some of the, uh, some of the poorest people own some of the poorest land. And, and what if we could bring some social justice? What if we could bring some things where in those villages, you know, they're getting their food, they're getting their corn, they're getting their, their, their fiber that they need to eat, but then they're bringing those ag residues to us in a small, smaller format. And that's something that's always been at Cool Planet's heart is having it be, um, you know, pulling in biomass residues or ag residues from a small radius. What if they could eat, eat that food, bring their ag residues in, and what we could do is give them back Cool Terra to help grow more food, to help feed 10 billion people by 2050 because it's a full circle. And as they're growing more food, we're actually putting developing countries at the forefront of sequestering carbon as well. And, and that's a big benefit, um, that we aren't just cutting down more trees, changing the landscape uh, you know, of, of, our, of our farming. Uh, we're helping use get more productivity off the same number of acres. And I think that's going to be critical for the future of feeding uh, 10 billion people. Right now, where do you make it? Where do you get it? Yeah, we, uh, we have an operating facility in Camarillo, California. Um, we uh, produce the, the material from there. We're building a facility in, and Camarillo is about an hour, an hour north, hour and a half north of L.A., uh, and that's serving a highly valuable 
agricultural market in California, but we're also shipping it into uh, other specialty crop states uh, like the Southeast U.S., Florida, Georgia, uh, the Carolinas, um, on some of those specialty crops. We're building a facility in Alexandria, Louisiana, which is right in the heart of the wood basket of uh, Louisiana. Um, and really, we're going through what's been already established, ag distribution. Um, cool Planet's not going to have hundreds of salespeople out there going to individual farmers. That, that distribution channel has already been established, and we're very fortunate to have partners uh, like J.R. Simplot or the Helena Chemical Company or Triangle Chemical Company uh, down in the southeast, Jim. These are, these are people who have seen the benefits of engineered biocarbon and want to bring those benefits to their customers that have hundreds of retail offices already. That's a big benefit to Cool Planet is not to reinvent how to get this out to the market and how to get it to the grower. Of course, we make it available on Amazon if somebody just wants to try it at their home or Cool Terra Organic is the name. It's a fully organic product. Um, so growers and, and, and people are, are testing it out. We've got the data to to show, and, and I think it's uh, uh, 2017 and 2018 are, are going to be real growth years for Cool Planet. Now, you mentioned that um, there are other applications, and you mentioned cryptically that animal feed. Quickly, um, what can you eat it? Is it is there an opportunity there for... Uh... You'd put it in with animals. We, we would be looking at, uh, you know, outside the U.S., you can feed it today. Um, it's called vegetative carbon over in Europe, and they're feeding it to dairy cows. Or you look at uh, beef cattle up in Canada. Uh, some of them are getting it. Um, we would look at a feed uh, ingredient definition here in the U.S. Uh, that has the appropriate claims. Very small amount. I mean, we're talking a pound or less going in 100 pounds of grain. And helping feed conversion, reducing, you know, potentially toxins in the animal. So you could reduce antibiotics. Methanogens, methane-producing organisms. By the way, don't know if your listeners know, but a... Cow burps more methane than comes out the other end. So it's called enteric fermentation. How do you keep a cow from burping up methane? And that would be by reducing methanogens in their stomach. So lots of opportunity. We would want to work with a great animal health partner. Uh, again, Cool Planet doesn't need to recreate the feed industry, uh, but we'd be looking at uh, great animal feed partners uh, to help us get this out for chickens, pigs, uh, cattle, uh, beef or dairy. And I think there's a real opportunity there in the future, Jim. Well, we, we've been talking with Wes Polson. The, the company is Cool Planet. You can even buy it on Amazon. It's engineered carbon. It helps, the, helps your uh, soil retain water and nutrients and a lot of other things, vigorous growth. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to explore more of the technology trends. We're going to take your comments and questions and stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. TerraTech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is make America great again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT 
is really what's going to drive some amazing oil new- prices. Yes, the story on um, everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know other technologies work, like DME and and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com/ablc. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring amazing stuff from soil to sky today, and we're taking your questions about technology uh, trends. To join in the conversation, uh, you can uh, send them via Twitter to bdigest. You can email them to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com, or you can call in live 866-472-5788, 866-472-5788. 866-472-5788, We've been getting quite a few of your comments and questions via email, online, etc. Thank you for those. We're gonna we're gonna dip into those. Uh, it's been uh, we've been accumulating these. Actually, some of these came in last week, and we didn't get quite to all of them. And also, thank you very much for the ones that came in this morning. We had one that uh, came in with respect to the technology we were just hearing about, which is uh, Cool Planets. Uh, uh, technology. It's it's called uh, Cool Terra, and the question comes in from uh, from Scott, who asks, uh, "Do uh, cover crops they build healthy soils? Uh, what about carbon credits? Can you get carbon credits for things like soil?" Well, Scott, the answer is uh, right now you don't really get carbon credits for soils. What uh, what you get is carbon credits for things like fuels and. In some areas, you can get production incentives for things like chemicals, but primarily the carbon credit regime has been created for energy, and it's either liquid fuels or, or power. Uh, there's been a little bit of discussion about bringing that forward into the area of soil, so that's, uh, that's the answer there. Cover crops build healthy soils, but they do not build carbon credits at this time. Uh, stand by for more on that story. We also had a question about, the, um, about carbon credits as well. That, uh, or, or more of a, a comment. This comes from the hemp industry, which is what uh, they're, they're a great opportunity. Uh, what are the opportunities and what's available for uh, if you're growing hemp? And this has been a, uh, an increasing area of focus. Uh, clearly, hemp is, is now uh, for marijuana cultivation is now uh, essentially marijuana uh, usage is, is legal, as we know, in, in Washington and Colorado and also uh, legal in some other states, uh, on or at least on the ballot uh, for other states and other countries around the world. And behind that is the hemp industry. Hemp, as many of you know, has been used for you know hundreds of years to make rope. 
and and a host of other type of fiber technologies. And in fact, Henry Ford back in the 1930s made a car entirely out of hemp. It was called the Hempmobile, and it got uh, it got a lot of people unnerved uh, in terms of uh, replacing plastics, replacing petroleum. So there was a there was a uh, a, a war. So movement in pro- that was put in progress to uh, make sure that hemp was not uh, available in the market. Part of that had to do with uh, its similarity to marijuana. It was a little bit hard for uh, untrained, uh, let's say, police to go out there and decide that this was a, uh, a hemp field and that was a marijuana field. So that was one of the reasons why hemp went away. So the question is, what, what um, supports are there uh, for the emerging hemp industry, which is being looked at as a replacement for citrus in uh, in Florida, also a replacement for avocado cultivation in um, California, where avocados have been hit hard by uh, NAFTA. Citrus has been hit hard in California also, uh, to some extent, but greatly in Florida because of citrus greening. And so the question is, are there any credits available? And the answer is not really much right now. However, there are what are called small business uh, or SBIR grants that are available for developing emerging technologies through the uh, through the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, there has not been a lot of activity in hemp as yet. The alternative crop movement has not quite reached that far, but it's just a matter of time, we think, and to, until there's going to be more uh, uh, reignited interest in hemp, hemp cultivation, not only f- uh, to support the marijuana industry, but all the other uses of, uh, f- uh, of the fiber uh, that hemp uh, has. We had, a, um, we had a question coming in from uh, Zed Enterprise, uh, our friends at Zed Enterprise, who wanted to ask about what is going to happen uh, with the wonder crop, Jatropha. And many of you know that Jatropha uh, was a, is an oilseed crop. It's a bush crop. It's been uh, used, uh, it's been grown extensively in India for years. The Portuguese used it uh, to, because uh, it, it, you could uh, squeeze the oil out, and they used it as lamp oil for a long time. And because of the Portuguese uh, colonizing large portions of Africa as well as India, it spread around the world and, and even got down into South America where it's been cultivated for years in a sort of a wild type. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of activity in increasing the yields of Jatropha uh, for some time. Part of that was because of the fuel markets uh, was intended to be the primary uh, area of activity for Jatropha. With the collapse in global oil prices, there's been a lot less uh, calls and interest in investment in developing alternative oilseed stocks. And Jatropha is a little bit inedible, where it's very inedible in its wild type. You can't eat the, uh, after you've ex- extracted the oil, you can't eat the mash. And they're trying to develop a an edible mash. And that will be something that will help the economics of Jatropha uh, greatly. So the answer to the question, what's happening with Jatropha? Uh, collapse in oil prices meant that Jatropha could not make it strictly as a as a uh, as an oil product. Uh, it needs to be uh, advanced in the science to make it more edible, so you can use the mash just like we do with soybeans, where you have the oil and you have the soybean meal. So that's the answer there. Thank you for that question from uh, Mr. Gottla at our friends at Zed Enterprises. We had a, a question coming in from Scott Chaplin. Thank you, Scott, for, uh, for joining us uh, with a question today. Scott was on uh, TerraTech a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, f- uh, the uh, flavorings and fragrances area, and he asked what were the key ingredients being developed and what is the feasibility for advanced materials to be used in the flavors and fragrances industry. Well, Scott, Scott knows, and some of you know, we've covered a lot of this, that there are a couple of different areas to, to look at, one of which is colors. 
and colorings is a is a new area of opportunity. There are some uh, abilities to grow a very very difficult uh, pigment, which is cyan, which is blue. It's uh, it's an expensive thing that's currently made from. It's currently made uh, mostly from petroleum, and now you can grow it from algae from cyanobacteria. And there's a company called uh, uh, Earthrise that has brought to, uh, brought forward a technology, and there are other companies that are looking at it right now. So that's one area, which is pigments. Uh, in the area of flavorings, a company called Blue Marble Bio, uh, Biomaterials would be one to look at because that is a, a uh, technology that has uh, developed some amazing uh, flavor substitutes. One of the ones that's, that's out there getting a lot of attention is they're making bacon from a bacon flavoring. So you can use this for vegan bacon. And they're making it from spent coffee grounds, which is really interesting. So they pick up the residues, let's say, from Starbucks, and they can extract... Uh, the molecules they need, and convert that into a bacon flavoring. So every time you have your latte, you're making the world uh, a little bit more affordable for your vegan friends who would like to have something that tastes like bacon but really isn't. Another area of interest um, in the bioeconomy and the area of flavorings is actually whole foods, uh, not the uh, not the chain, but actually you know foods that are made uh, without the cow. This is a, a very, very large area of innovation. And an example would be uh, Leather Without the Cows, a company called Modern Meadow out of Brooklyn, New York, that is developing a, a leather. It's not a synthetic substitute. It's no alternative. It actually is leather. They take cells from a living cow, just a, you know, a scrape of cells, just like you would when you're giving a sample uh, for a, uh, at your checkup or if you're doing one of those you know, Ancestry.com or 23andMind, you spit into a tube. They take some of those cells. And they put them into a, uh, they industrialize that basically, and they grow those cells, which uh, we have uh, tissue culturing and, and, and cell, uh, cell cultivation technology has been around for a long time. But they have a layering technology that's able to make a, a leather. It actually looks, feels, and performs like leather. The company's called Modern Meadow, and that's a new advance in the area of uh, things without the cow, the vegan technologies. Another vegan technology company called uh, Perfect Day used to be called Moo Free, and they make milk without the cow. So that uh, that milk protein, uh, casein, is uh, is something that they cultivate. So they add it, so they cultivate it in their fermenters. They make it from sugar, and so it's uh, it's milk without the cow. So you don't need to have a dairy operation. That's really good if you have uh, certain types of uh, lactose intolerance. Um, is is an area acidophilus milk is an area of interest. So a lot of people want to have milk without the cow who have either health uh, health concerns. Some uh, just simply don't want to support uh, the 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 uh, production commercial scale uh, uh, dairy business. Uh, another one is uh, meat without the cow, and there's a couple of companies doing that. Impossible Foods is uh, now available in New York City, also in Silicon Valley. Guys like Sergey Brin have gone to uh, parties. Uh, to sample that. Those are burgers. You can actually have a, a ground beef burger without the cow. So uh, Beyond Meats is another company in that field. And so that's a whole different area of technology. Thank you very much uh, for that question, Scott. And also in the uh, flavorings, or sorry, in the fragrances area, a couple of companies like Amaris and Terravia have been active uh, in, in there. So we had, a, we had a question that was coming in about uh, new materials, plastics, Avantium, spider silk ties. What's What's real? What's what's new? What's hype? And the answer is Avantium is a company that, uh, for those of you that follow IPOs, just did a 103 million euro IPO in uh, in Europe, and they are partnered as are two other companies. One is called 
Jivo. Another one is um, is called Anelotech uh, that are partnered up to provide uh, materials for uh, the plastic bottle. This is the bio-based plastic bottle. We did a whole segment on this, Avantium. And another company actually is Virant in this area. Virant and Avantium and Jivo are partnered up with Coca-Cola. Anelotech is supplying to Centauri, which is a, uh, a Pepsi bottler. So they make a clear plastic bottle that is not used making petroleum. In the case of Avantium, it is real because they are building a, a world-scale plant. BASF, the world's largest chemical company, is building that uh, over in Europe at, uh, um, at one of their large uh, facilities in Delft. And uh, so that is that is a real thing. As far as spider silk ties, thank you very much for that question. Somebody's obviously been uh, pretty hip to the, uh, the publicity around spider silk of late. Yes, indeed, there is a company called Bolt Threads, and they are offering a spider silk tie for $314. So you have to pay a lot to be a part of the advanced bioeconomy. But you can, in fact, buy a spider silk-based uh, tie, and that's part of their uh, move to make advanced uh, fragrance, or sorry, advanced uh, fabrics. We had a uh, we had a question about uh, is biomass based diesel in a sustained boom and why? Uh, and thank you very much for that question. Yes, if you want to, even though diesel technology has not been uh, as popular on the consumer side of late, yes, uh, it continues to be incredibly important and on a growth curve, especially in the developing world where most of the um, vehicle on the street is is running diesel because it's trucks and transportation industry stuff rather than consumers driving around uh, vehicles. And so diesel is on the rise. Many of them want to have a biomass-based diesel, especially in countries like India where they have a lot of biomass. They don't have a lot of uh, petroleum. So yes, biomass-based diesel is on a sustained boom. It's also very popular in California. We've seen uh, sales growth of over 1,000% for a company called Propel Fuels in that market, in the California market. So that is, uh, that is a, uh, an ongoing uh, a positive story. We had uh, another, another question that came in, are airlines ever going to translate these demand signals that they've been giving into actual demand? Are they ever going to buy fuels? And the answer there is California, here I come. Yes, they will. The problem here is actually a regulatory problem and it has to do with carbon credits. In California, you can get a carbon credit for making a transportation fuel, and most of these technologies can make diesel or jet fuel, but you cannot in California get a, uh, uh, get a carbon credit for making a jet fuel. The California legislature is working, working on that and looking at that right now, but right now, those companies that can make a biomass-based fuel, a diesel or a jet, clearly are going to make diesel, and that's one of the reasons why the diesel market is so exciting in California, but they will switch to jet and when that happens, uh, you'll see a lot more activity uh, over on the uh, airline side. So, um, so those are the questions that have uh, come in, and we really appreciate those. Uh, we had a couple more that we'll be getting to in the digest. So those of you that sent questions in that we didn't get to uh, today, we'll, we'll get to those uh, online. And that's all we have time for on TerraTech today. We'll be uh, back again next week at uh, Wednesday at 9 Eastern as we take another dip into the changing world of products all around us. Until then... I'm Jim Lane, wishing you a great day in this new world of opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to TerraTech. Please join your host, Jim Lane, again next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this week, take notice of the products in your life. 